So the big question is this, are you tired of the hustle and grind of fix and flip? Do you really think you can wholesale your way to success? What you really want is a cash flowing portfolio that lets you live a life of freedom, sunsets and palm trees on your terms. But what if you're stuck because you have no capital, no time and no idea where to start? That ends now. Your host, Corey Peterson, is a rags to riches real estate millionaire who started out with no money or credit and quickly grew a portfolio of cash flowing apartments. Not to mention, he did it all with other people's money. You're only one deal away from creating the cash flow life, and the Multifamily Legacy Podcast will show you how. So now, here's your host, the big kahuna, Corey Peterson. Hey everybody, welcome to the Multifamily Legacy Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peterson, and you are in for a treat. Man, oh man, I've got a good friend of mine that I've known for quite some time, and he's an absolute maniac when it comes to owning apartments. So his name is Mike Flaherty. He's the founder and president of L5 Investments. You know, he's been doing this business for quite some time. He's got over 525 million dollars worth of a uh, done that many worth apartment deals since 2009 over 5500 units he is a force to reckon us reckon with uh, their focus is on well-located yield drif- driven assets uh, that have based both physical and operational repositioning value plays plus mike's a good friend and he's got a house in Kauai, which is my favorite island of all islands. So, Mike, welcome to the show, brother. Hey, thanks, Corey. Thanks for having me. Good to be on with uh, the big kahuna. <laughs> Dude, it's been a minute since we've talked and, like, just really shared stories. Uh, I mean, you've got a phenomenal story, and honestly, you're just a good human. You know, I want to just share with my listeners, my audience, like, your story, dude, because I think <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Happy to walk you through that. And, uh, you know, my spouse pretty laid back, so feel free to interrupt and have me talk more on, uh, something or less on something. You and I, we've known each other for, I don't know, seven, eight years. Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. Maybe longer. Yeah. I've stayed, so it's I've been stayed a while. at your house. Well, I didn't stay at your house, but I definitely was in your house. Uh, and well, you're, I guess the, you own it with your parents or, uh, in-laws. You, in Kauai. you guys definitely uh, enjoyed we some beverages turtles, over there that night. Turtles from the backyard, right? That's right. That's right. We'll be there uh, in three days. But yeah, yeah, we go back ways. Congrats on uh, on all your success as well. It's been, it's been awesome to watch and see. Yeah, and uh, I'm honored honored to be on here. But yeah, let's see my my personal journey. Yeah, it really starts from the beginning. I, I have a civil engineering degree from. Villanova University, and my first job was managing real estate design and entitlement. Entitlements primarily meaning securing permits and approvals from planning commissions, zoning hearing councils, uh, uh, city councils, really throughout the country. So at a young age, I was driving around, flying around, getting projects approved for the likes of you know McDonald's, you know, all the oil companies, Taco Bell, Home Depot, Walgreens, you name it. So I started off 
in the in the real estate world, but not necessarily on the the investor investment side of it. But still on the um, commercial side of it, though. Always on the commercial side. Uh, and to be honest with you, my goal was always to do the residential side. So I left there after a couple of years and uh, joined on with Toll Brothers. Uh, Toll Brothers is the largest national luxury home builder. Yep. Uh, I worked out of their headquarters in Philadelphia. I managed two or three pretty large uh, award-winning single-family home communities there in uh, the Philadelphia, New Jersey area. That, that was pretty awesome. You know, built a thousand plus uh, semi-custom homes and did the residential thing and realized that wasn't what I wanted to either. So <laughs> I, uh, I took a job in New York, in New York City, managing real estate development for, at the time, the world's largest commercial real estate development fee firm, which was called Bobus Lend Lease. Uh, out of London in Australia, and I manage all of BP gas stations, British Petroleum's developments in the New York area. And then uh, BP bought Arco Oil on the West Coast here, where I am now, and yeah. they shipped me out to live at the beach in Los Angeles. And I worked yeah. from my home in M- Manhattan Beach, Hermosa Beach, and uh, tried to work a little less and have a little bit more fun. Uh, that never really worked out. But um, I managed all of Arco's real estate development on the West Coast from San Diego up to Seattle. And then meanwhile, I'm trying to figure out how do I, how do, how do, I do this on my own? Yeah. Uh, you know, I've been making everyone else a lot of money doing this business, primarily large, you know, large Fortune 500 corporation. Uh, I went back and uh, got my MBA at University of Southern California. And met a number of people there that really said, hey, Mike, you're ready to, to go do this on your own. So I jumped from the corporate world. I partnered with some investment bankers out of Los Angeles. We did a number of projects in Southern California and New York. And then uh, and I was kind of the development arm of that group on a number of properties. And then uh, uh, Lehman Brothers happened to fail. But September 17th of 2008. Yep. Same year, I, I got married and had a baby on the way, and uh, you know the recession kicked in, and all the all the pieces kind of fell apart. I had a had a property in Hermosa Beach, used to be a Biltmore Hotel, unbelievable location, designed by an award winning architect. I had worked two to three years on getting it approved through city council, and recession hit. We lost financing, and uh, you know. We were about two weeks uh, two weeks away from starting construction, and Lehman Brothers failed, and everything. You know, it forced us to kind of start from scratch. So painful process, and uh, as it was for everyone, right? You didn't yeah, have to be in was. real estate yeah. to go through that pain, and it didn't matter how good you were, how bad you were, how smart you were, or weren't. Uh, it didn't matter whether you were in residential or commercial. You know, it uh, it, it put a good hurting on on everyone. Yep, and you know, I kind of look back at it. You, know, you try, you try to forget the, uh, try to block out the the painful side of it. But uh, I kind of look back at it really as a blessing because it, it gave me the opportunity to really start from scratch and and study yes. what what I thought was next or what I wanted to think was next. And I've always been a fan of of Warren Buffett. I think he's still top what two, three as on the yeah. on the world's richest man list. Yep. And he's always preached, hey, buy when there's blood in the streets, right? 
and there was a lot there was a lot of blood in the streets in 2008 2009 and, and i had done a little bit of everything from yeah. uh, commercial properties to residential to i was flying around on helicopters landing on deserted I mean, beaches you, what in a great costa rica think about this right i mean think about what you just you got an education from multi i mean fortune 500 companies that's a very high level right of being the guy and helping these companies and they're paying you to, to do this and you're learning and you're getting all this knowledge on their dime gosh that's just got to be such when you come into it you know then the market crashes and now you're in your own gig you've got the knowledge and the experience and there's blood like you said blood in the streets that's hellacious yep man. and believe it or not i'm not sure you know i know you do a great job teaching your group how to get it done and you know, it's funny, I've never really talked about this before. Obviously, a lot of what you do and what you learn in the past correlates to this, but so much of it is more the mentality of what you learn. You know, so a lot of the individual things, you know, that have uh, enabled me to be successful, I've really learned doing what I'm doing now, you know, until you really jump and say, hey, it's, uh, I'm going to jump and I know I'm going to land on my feet. And I'm going to figure this out. I mean, that, that's the best education you can get out there, you know, more than anything else that, that I went, I went through. The true entrepreneur jumps out the plane and figures out how to get his parachute assembled, right? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. And if you, if you bounce on your head a couple of times, that's okay. Cause you're still going to land on your feet at some point, <laughs> Yeah. hopefully, hopefully sooner than later. But that was always my mentality. So, you know, I started researching, well, you know, what, what did I want to do next? And, and, you know, Corey, as you said, I had kind of a unique experience and background. I had, I had done a little bit of everything yeah. and, and I enjoyed being the well-rounded, you know, Hey, I've done a little bit of everything kind of guy. Um, uh, but as we learn in life, so, so many of the success stories come from someone that had a niche or someone that, you know, took someone else's idea and made it better and, and prospered from it. You know, you know, that, that little widget, that ball bearing, that uh, one idea. And, you know, for me, it's, it's really been, been apartments. You know, I, I, I would go to see, you know, see and pay to, to hear gurus like you, Tori, Corey talk about uh, industrial and retail. And I, I remember pulling these guys aside afterwards and, you know, that's my style, Corey and say, Hey, you know, are you, are you buying, industrial in 2009 and they kind of looked over their shoulders and said uh okay hey can i buy you a drink i'll meet you in the bar in an hour <laughs> right so you know this happened twice you know, one one guy wanted the drink one guy wanted a cup of coffee so <laughs> i met i met both of these guys in the in the, the hotel lobby an hour later and i said hey i just pay a lot of money to hear you speak are, are you doing this now and both of them kind of looked over their shoulders again and they looked at me and they said uh I'm buying apartments and, and both times I said, I'm not really interested in apartments and tenants and toilets. And, you know, people uh, think you're dealing with Jerry, Jerry Springer tenants all the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I heard it twice when I didn't want to hear it. And I said, oh, maybe I should start researching it. And, you know, I liked what I learned and learned a lot about the demand uh, for rentals at that time. Obviously no one was buying homes and, the, the millennial generation was graduating from college and they continue to do that. So it was a good, smart, safe spot to be. And, you know, 10 years later, 
I, I still I still believe it is the right more risk adverse spot to be. And I, I spoke at a convention in Seattle a couple of years ago, and there was an economist that spoke before me. I think he was the keynote speaker. And he said something I had never heard before, but it's very true. He said, apartments are the number one risk-adjusted cash flow stream of investment in history. And as a result, I, you know, I kind of put my blinders on. I've said no to all the other stuff I've done in the past or stuff that tempts me along the way to get involved with from a real estate development standpoint. And, uh, man, we've just been buying, you know, 20 to... We just closed on the 740-unit apartment deal this year. That's kind of been my journey in a nutshell, Corey. Brother, I mean, how cool is this? So, uh, you know, you and I kind of share one of the same mentors, uh, David Lindahl, at least in the beginning. That's That was who I learned a lot of my real estate investing uh, from, a uh, part of it. And, and I look back at the relationships that I have from everybody that I, you know, along the way. And, you know, I think of you, I think of Bob Bowman, I actually, you know, because you you actually help a lot of his students, and I I remember talking to you one time, and I think this is what you said to me, and I and it was very because that was really new. You were just a couple more years in it than I was, but you but you came from a background way more experienced than I than I was, where I was just a single family guy. You had a breadth of knowledge, and you could just tell that you and you knew a couple things about a couple things, and you're like Corey, um, you know. The C plus B minus B type of asset, like they don't build it no more. And that's just, it's, and here's my little recipe. You know, I'm buying, buying a little bit nicer stuff. I can raise the rents. I get a better, a little bit better. Uh, you know, you weren't buying the war zones is what I was saying. Right. You're, right. You're trying right. to buy a little bit better quality. And looking back on that, that's one of the biggest things that I've learned, um, especially as I buy now is I try not to buy from the bottom of the barrel, right? I really like, if you can have a little bit better quality product, it 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 seems to do a little bit better. What do you think? Well, number one, I think it's just uh, the smarter, safer place to be. Um, and, and, you know, and I, and I, outside of all the experience I touched on before, when I had a corporate job, you know, I, I bought, probably bought 10, 11, 12 homes uh, you know, before the recession. And I was looking to do some entrepreneurial things with real estate as well. I was buying some small old departments, you know, in, in, uh, in not, you know, not the best areas and not the most exciting markets from a stability standpoint or job growth standpoint, but the cash flow looked good. Right. Right. And I can tell you, you know, almost all of those fell, fell flat because better products, better tenants, uh, and more importantly, you know, I, I saw coming out of the recession, you know, what one, what type of investments did well? Well, it was apartments. You know, most people don't know the stat, but, uh, Corey, you may be talking the same thing. I'm not sure, but, you know, four with a 0.4% of apartment real estate properties went back to the bank, went into foreclosure through the recession, 0.4%. Amen to that. Uh, and that's, Right. And most people think of real estate as a four letter word coming out of the recession. I mean, it was a painful process regardless of what you were doing, but that pain wasn't associated around apartments. And again, that's during the worst recession of our, of our lives. Of our lives. Of yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. So there's a lot of learning you can take from that. You know, our future recession is going to be as bad. Probably not. Hopefully, hopefully not. Yeah. And will apartments, 
perform as well as they did then? Probably so. I think so. It can't get much worse, right? Uh, I agree. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, and, and and if I, we had a crystal ball, the only thing I would say is I wish I would have been, I mean, had uh, the fortitude to raise a lot more money <laughs> in 2009 and 10 and bought a lot more deals. Gosh. Yeah. I mean, geez, Louise. Coming on the other side, I like. I just want a mini correction so I can buy some some better deals <laughs> now because it, yeah. it's quite frankly yeah. it's harder to find them, right? But they're still yeah. out there. Yeah. Hey, good deal. Yeah, I, I always say this because uh, people ask exactly that. Hey, is it is harder to find deals than it used to be? And I say no. And most people kind of their eyes cross when I say that. But the reality of it is, in this business, good deals are always hard to find. Right. You know. Is there a little less, you know, was there a little less competition in 2009, 2010? Sure. But, you know, was I still, you know, when I was buying properties, was I always competing with five or 10 other groups that had money and good experience and wanted to buy that property instead of me? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Um, every time. Is it it different now? Uh, You know, I'd say the same thing. Anytime we buy a property, we're probably always not off market or through a relationship, we're still always competing with five or 10 other groups that have experience and that the brokers know and the lenders know. So, you know, in that aspect, uh, it's just as hard now as it was then. I mean, nothing easy, yeah, nothing easy comes from, from hard work, right? I mean, you you really got to double down and become an expert at it. And can you still find good deals out there? Absolutely. You know, we've been as active as, as we've ever been over the last couple of years here. Yeah, we, we have too. And, and for the same reason, like, yeah, there's, you just got to do the work. Most people are just not willing to do the work required to really understand the deals. And you, I mean, we just, we associate, I'm sure you've, it's underwriting. It's all about doing lots of underwriting to find a couple gems and then you still got to compete and win. And yeah. but listen, you know, if you did five big projects, if you did five of these 740 or even three of, of the 740 unit deals in a year, that's a pretty damn good year. No complaints, my friend. No complaints. Yeah, <laughs> I, I always say to find one deal, we have to go after a hundred. Yeah. We have to go after a hundred deals. We might really only dig in deep on fifty. Yeah. And of those fifty, we might do a deeper level of due diligence and underwriting on twenty. And we might only write offers on ten to fifteen. Yeah. And we might only go best in final where we know we're really competing hard with a couple other groups on five to get one deal that we like. Yeah. Um, and I, I would say we become experts at being in the, the needle in the haystack business. But, but think about it. Nobody wants to be a retail investor, whether you're buying single family homes, apartments or whatever. You know, a good thing is hard to come by. If you want to become an expert at underwriting, as you said, and, uh, conservatively underwriting and finding good deals. You should be looking at a hundred deals to find. That's the find key one word, good one. Conservative, right? So the biggest mistake I see, because you know, right now the big buzzword is apartments, right? Everybody's talking. All my single-family brethren that I know are all wanting to do apartments, and I just look back and I'm like, well, what training have you gotten? Or because everything they see is a deal. Oh, that's a deal. That's a deal. That's a deal. And you're just like scratching your head. <laughs> like, well, I mean, I guess if you say so, good luck with that. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the biggest skill set anyone can 
I want to say acquire the biggest skill set people want it should want to come away from in this business is the ability to find a good deal. But more than anything, it's the ability to understand what a good deal is. You know, what does it look like? What does it smell like? And you, you can't, and you don't need a, you don't need an engineering degree or, you know, an MBA or have to be an attorney, you know, you, you got to just put in the time because, you know, it, to, to, to develop that skill set, you have to look at a lot of deals. You know, you have to do something a lot of times to get really good at it. Uh, and that's when someone develops the ability to find good, smart deals where investors are attracted in, in what they're doing and believe in what they're doing. Yeah. So let's talk about capital. So you're finding deals. Uh, you know, it's not any harder than it was, you know, back in the day. It's the same amount of level of work, but now we come to funding. How has that changed from where you started to kind of where, what, where it's at now? From a funding standpoint, I think funding, I think funding is the easiest part of this business because banks love apartments. Yep. Um, you know, the banks like a lot of investors, they don't want to put their money in, in the market. Uh, I'm not sure they want to lend the people that have a lot of money in the market. Yep. So, but like I touched earlier with that, what that economist said about apartments being, you know, the most risk-adjusted real estate investment in history, the banks know that. So, you know, whether it's trying to get a loan in 2009 or trying to get a loan, you know, currently, for me personally, it has not been very it's challenging. Changed, right? So, um, but what about private capital? What's changed there? Private. Private capital has definitely gotten a little bit easier, and, and I can only yeah. say that from a, a a personal from a personal standpoint. And, and for me, I for me, it comes from trust and track record, right? We've yes. been doing this a long time. Um, most of our investors, they're not in one deal; they're in five yeah. to Almost twenty of our deal, deals. Right? Yeah, 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 and they diversify. You know, I find myself talking more like a financial planner than a real estate investor, and we encourage investors to dip their toe in the water, try us out. You know, I, I don't, uh, you know, my style, Corey, I mean, I, I will never sell a deal as the greatest thing since sliced bread. I like to say we bat smart singles and doubles and with good uh, performance and delivery, you know, we can turn a single into a triple uh, or a home run. Yes. Um, but don't, don't gamble on that. If you like what we do, if you like the industry, you like our track record, you've talked to some of our references from other investors who are in 10 to 15 deals, plan on investing in four deals, three deals, two yeah. deals, you know, spread it across, spread your risk across a, a, a couple of different markets. That's that. That's how we raise capital. And then once we have happy investors, they tell their friends. So most of our new investors are all coming from referrals from you know, happy investors that, uh, you know, we've made a lot of money for over the years. Man, that's, I want to say, that's what I wanted to allude to is that journey of starting, because I believe raising capital snowballs. Uh, the, the longer you've been doing it, the more you have a consistent track record and that you communicate with your investors because they, they actually become your friends. They are, I mean, that's really what happens. And, but then you're, like you just said, you're never selling right? I mean, all we do is offer opportunities. And when you can offer a, a really good solution, it's fun to watch your investors win, is it not? Yeah, it really is. I mean, that's the part that uh, that is most exciting. You know, seeing investors like the product, trust what you, the performance you've had for them, 
and come back for more. And then the next thing you're on the phone with them and, you know, two of their friends that are very their interested friends. as well. Yes. The greatest compliment you can get in, in, in the business is having someone open up their, I want to say their Rolodex, Corey, that, that, that obviously dates me now, but uh, opens up their Opens network. up their phone, right? <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, exactly. And that's not easy to do, you know. Their 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 reputation is on the is on the line along we're talking with talking about money, so. yeah. Because this is money. Like yeah. money is the it's the most you know hush. It's the last thing anybody talks about. But it does. It is a little bit different with people that have money. At least what I found is people that have money love to talk about money. It's kind of how they keep score. And once you do well with it, they're more than happy. Once you've delivered a track record and consistency, and good communication, they want to share it with their friends, too. That's what they talk about when they're golfing or whatever they're yeah. doing. And yeah, well, it's funny. There's two two investor stories I, I always tell. One is I had a finance professor at USC, Tim Campbell, and, uh, you know, I was in a room with the people a lot, a lot, lot smarter and more experienced than me. But I remember him saying that when it comes to – entrepreneurship and making money, your goal should be to be the talk of the cocktail party. Never forget that. And it is so true because people like to talk about what they've had success investing in. You know, men, women, you get together, families, friends, you know, you're at a dinner, you're grabbing cocktails. Uh, it, it's very, very true. And then, you know, you use the golfer reference as well, but someone once said that investors are like golfers, right? There's always one guy that wakes up early and makes the tea time and three other guys, uh, you know, hop in the cart with them. And it, it, it's the same way. One guy tries us out, has success. And you know, next, next thing you know, the, you know, the one guy breaks three of his buddies along. And then those guys bring three more. And, you know, next thing you know, you know I, have, I have one investor from Austin, Texas, uh, ex Dell computer executive that's done very well there. He invested with me 2009, 2010. And I probably have 10, 15 investors in Austin, Texas now as a result. And I have these little silos all over the country yeah. uh, for those same, those same reasons, Corey, as do you, I'm sure. Yeah, it isn't. It, I mean, honestly, that's my favorite part of the game is that piece. Uh, really, it's the investor relations that, I think it really drives me why I do it now, why I still, because I'm sure I'm probably like you in this, that I don't think I'll ever stop. I mean, I really love the game of doing it and, and playing and buying real estate. I don't, but I, I still want to do it at my own pace. I love doing it, but I also like the freedom associated with what we're doing, right? Because like most of the times we're not managing a whole lot of people and a whole lot of systems. You usually have, uh, do you guys, do you guys currently outsource that or do you self-manage? We, uh, we outsource our third party management. Amen. But it's still, it's still a lot of work. You, 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 uh, you might call me on this later, but you, and you touched on it in the end. What are we? Well, we're, we're managing people's money. Yeah. Right. Without I mean, that's really what company, we're doing. That's what we're doing. Yeah. Yes. It's really what we're doing. So, you know, I don't, I don't like to lead people on and be like, oh yeah, you're going to be, you know, you're, you're going to be retired in five years and sitting on the island of Kauai with your family. So, you know, am I going there in three days and I'll be there for two and a half weeks with my family? Absolutely. And doing this enables me to do that. But it's hard work. You know, success comes with a lot of hard work. There's no doubt about it. And, and I don't know that there's a checking, at least with, with our business, you know, we have about 
4,500 units right now after selling some deals. You know, we bought and sold 25 different properties. We've got a lot of investors. So we're managing a lot of money, as you can imagine. Yep. And when you're managing people's money, there's no checking out and, uh, you know, traveling the world for a year. You know, my, I mean, my, you always report to someone, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, God, your wife, your investors. And, uh, <laughs> you know, for me personally, that, that's the number one thing we do is manage people's money, make sure we, we, and we deliver on what we promised them. That you're good stewards um, of what, yeah, of the money that they gave you. And, uh, correct. But what a great business model to be able to do it in, right? So, I mean, I always look at there's, like you said, alluded to in the big, very first part of this, is that the asset class lends itself so well to, really your skill set and my skill set, which is, listen, I've never said I have the smartest tool in the shed, but my unique ability is to organize and get teams and, and the people and all the right you know places and then aggregate the capital to, to do it all, right? And then because of that, I get to own a lot of real estate as well. I mean, it's a wonderful game. Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and um, you know, people always ask about the downside. You know, are we going to go through another cycle here? another down cycle. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, uh, our returns going to dip. Absolutely. You know, our, uh, you know, interest rates going to rise or cap rates are going to rise and values might slow or dip a little bit. Yeah. That's going to happen. But where would you rather have your money? You know? And I ask myself that, where would I rather have my money? Would I yeah. rather be in the market where when the recession hits, I'm going to lose half my principal, maybe more. Right. Versus in the apartment business, again, remember 0.4% in the recession. My, my, I feel pretty comfortable with my original investment. Amen to um, that, dude. Yes. I doubt that that ever dips or ever gets lost. Now, might my yield, think of it like a bond, right? Might my yield or my cash on cash dip from, you know, 9 10% down to 3 4% during that cycle for a couple months or for a year? Yeah, it might. But compare that to being in the market where you lost all your money, you know, yeah. try timing the market and pulling your, your dollars out of the top and putting it into a bond, making two to 3%. It's the same thing, really. Yep. So do I think there's risk there? Absolutely. But I think your principal is for the most part protected in apartments. As long as you're, uh, you know, you touched on it, Corey, you're not buying in the hood, you know, you're not buying it old, old, pro I call them antiques. You know, old properties in a very tired area in a poor location. You know, th those, those, and I've done those. You know, th those are decisions that don't bode very well. We've made those in, mistakes. In a down cycle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. It's been I in a down those cycle. Scars. Those decisions hurt, right? Right. But, uh, you know, that's what with apartments, what we're, you know, our three niches have been buying properties. Uh, you know, ideally a hundred to 700 unit apartment communities where the local community has always known, known of, of you and your property as apartments with amenities. Yeah. But it's in a location that has excellent access to number one jobs, jobs, job announcements. If you go back and you study markets that did well or locations or properties that did well through the recession, that's the one commonality they all had great access to jobs and employment centers. So that's number one, we look for that. Number two, I love to be near good retail. 
you know, and I'm not saying you got a great, uh, the most popular pawn shop in town right across the street, right? <laughs> you know, I want a shopping center that's not half vacant that I'm next to. You know, I love to be near a Starbucks, a Walgreens, a good grocer nearby. Um, yeah. You know, these are the things tenants are looking for. If there's entertainment, hey, great, we're, we're closing tomorrow, actually, on a 624-unit deal in the Midwest where they can walk to the movie theaters. Um, they can walk to, you know, a steakhouse right next door. There's a brand new 61,000 square foot state of the art gym that's being built as we speak on the property, right, right next door to us. They can just walk. They don't even have to cross the street to get to. Yeah. I love those stories. And lastly, if I can get good access to mass transit, that's a third thing we always try to look at, whether it's a bus, light rail, you know, you, you name it. Those are three things that I really believe protect the downside in our business and in real estate in general, to be honest with you. Yeah. So listen, we're coming close to, to wrapping this thing up. And if you had to give my audience, so, you know, my audience composes of guys that are just starting out to, you know, I would say the average, you know, guys that are, that are starting to get into the multifamily space. What advice would okay. you give them? What, would, what advice would you give them? I would say start small. It drives me bonkers when someone that's brand new in the business, I, I, someone the other day says, hey, I, he emailed me, called me, hey, I've got 1,200 units in Texas that I think we should buy, you know, when, when he has never closed on a fourplex, as an, as an example, right? Yeah. You know, start, start small. And, and as I said, be able to prove up to your investors and your peers and your partners, like, you know, Corey and I potentially that, that you know what you're doing. And it doesn't mean you have to have closed on five properties. It just means you've done your homework, uh, which is due diligence, you know, smart, prudent underwriting. Do you know your rent comps? And you know, I get this all the time. Hey, uh, we think we can raise rents $400. Okay. Well show me this. the beauty of apartments, right? There's yeah. data out there to help you make prudent decisions. You know, have you looked at the sales comps? Does, is anyone else in your little sub market $400 above yours? You know, yes, there's three properties that have done it. Okay, that's great. You know, sales comps is the other one. Factual evidence. It's the beauty of apartments. You know, you're not, you're not gambling. We're buying data, you're dude. Make- yes, we're buying data, dude. It's, and it's all out there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We're buying at $50,000 a unit for a property built in 1980. You can get the data and understand that, hey, these properties should sell between forty and 60000 a unit. Okay, I'm in that ballpark. Great. If someone brings it to me and it's 80000 per unit and I know it should be 50000 there's a problem there. But anyone starting can get that data. The brokers have it. Corey, I'm sure you and your team can you know, help people, educate people on how, on, on how to get it and where to get it. You know, who's going to manage the property? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I know, right? <laughs> so, so, someone's in Phoenix and they're buying a property in, you know, Cedar Rapids. And there, there's nothing wrong with it. We do it all the time. But, you know, you want boots on the ground that can help you understand what you're doing and can give your, your investors confidence that you know what you're doing. So, you know, do you have a, a, a management company that's in the market, from the market? They manage 40 other properties in the market. Have they already been to the property, seen it, walked it, you know, given you a feel for whether it's worth your time or not? All that is really important to come by. And have you seen the property? I mean, Corey, you and I get it. We've, we've bought all over the country. 
you don't have to go see that property right off the bat. But if you're going to start raising money, if you have a property under contract, you and whether put this your is foot a, on the dirt, you better put your foot on the better, dirt. Yeah, better duplex or a hundred units. You know, you need to prove up to your investors who are trusting you that yeah, you put your foot on the dirt. Right? I'm amazed how many times I get phone calls. You know, they they have one. You know, they're in due diligence. They're under contract. They have earnest money that's hard and non-refundable, and they're trying to convince meet a partner and invest with them. And uh, I find out they've never been to the property, amazing, which is a major right? red flag. It's Happens amazing. all the time. And it also, tell, it also tells you you're not talking to the right guy. You know, yeah. that's probably someone that's helping raise money for someone else. So, you know, uh, always make sure you're talking to the right source. And for someone that starts, happens a lot, right? With, with brokers, you find out you're not dealing with the broker that has the relationship with the actual gentleman that's selling the property, right? It's that's a red flag. Guys you, down the road, yes, it's crazy. You don't, you don't want to, you know, the chances of you getting that deal if you're dealing with a middleman is very, very slim. You want to make sure and you want to demand that you are talking, negotiating, asking questions of the, the right person of accountability that is, you know, either is the seller or has direct access to who that seller is. Dude, Mike, sage, sage advice, brother, sage advice. You know, um, what a wonderful journey, right? I mean, and you're still on the journey. And, uh, you know, gosh dang, I, I, I just, I look at where I started and, and where, what you're doing now. What a wonderful, what a wonderful thing. I mean, there's lots of things that we could have been doing. And somehow we found something that really fits really well, which is multifamily apartments. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I found my thing, and it, it's come from uh, meeting good people, you know, such as yourself and, and your wife and network, you know, surrounding yourself with good people, whether it's in your business or your networking environment, and, you know, trying to be a sponge, really. Uh, you know, you can never stop learning. But, yeah, I've been very fortunate to, quite frankly, uh, you know, I've got a great partner. I've got a great team of people that have been with me a long time. We've, we've got a very small, lean amount of people. People are amazed at how, how many deals we do, how many investors we manage, and how much money we deliver back to our capital and our investors with a pretty small team. But it, it's people I've been working with for a decade straight. So you know, if, we know if, each other. We trust each other. Yeah, that's that's. I mean, in that that's that's the culture, man. That's that really is the epitome of being this type of entrepreneur in in this space. So if people want to learn about your company, L5, or how do they get a hold of you? How, how would they find you? Yeah, our website is up and running. We're actually in the middle of, uh, of redoing it because it's about five years old right now, but happy to send people there. Uh, there's a number of, uh, I would say, trust and track record. There's a number of testimonials there from some of our investors and some information on some articles uh, that have been posted about us and about our properties there, which is... Uh, l5invest.com l is in larry the number five invest.com and then uh you know Corey, i'll give it to everyone now if you're fine with it my phone number and my uh my email i yeah. like to be very accessible with with people that have interest in what we do so my you know my email is mike at l5invest.com l is in larry the number five invest.com and uh my cell phone 310-991-3091 so happy to uh happy to help as needed yeah dude awesome man that's that's huge brother listen guys uh this is a great episode like mike's got a lot of knowledge been around the game for a long time 
doing amazing things. Uh, it all starts from a point of belief, though. Uh, you know, he believed in himself. He fed himself. He kept learning. And guys, in this lifetime, if you believe it, you can achieve it. And your paradise is possible.